You turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 29 while you're turning there. I kind of remind you, if you didn't hear the messages earlier today, make sure that you set aside some time next Saturday. Uh, Join us here beginning about 1 o'clock with our first performance of our program, Home for Christmas, and then we have snow play, and we have all kinds of fire pits and food and all kinds of stuff between then and our second service, which is at 7. So I want to encourage you to invite somebody out and uh, join us on Saturday. And then Sunday we'll have our normal services. And then uh, a week from tomorrow we'll have a candlelight uh, Christmas Eve service. And so I want to really encourage you to join. And in the meantime, uh, we will be canceling. We're not having Sunday night for two weeks in a row because we have a New Year's Eve service as well. So this will be our last Sunday night for a couple of weeks just because of all the extra spare services we have going on. So I want to remind you because you're the Sunday night faithful. So Sunday nights are turning into Monday nights for the next couple of weeks. Amen. So thank you for being here on Sunday night. As you pick up, we'll, we'll turn our attention to verse 31. But in this next chapter and a half, we really find the birth of the 12 tribes, what we call the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. And so these are all Jacob's sons. And as we look at this particular set of verses, there are all kinds of things that we can learn from them, but they are largely historical. And so we're going to take a pretty uh, large chunk of scripture tonight. So we'll finish up chapter 29, the first 24 verses of chapter 30. And as you look at this family... You have to look at it from a Jewish perspective. The Jewish perspective was this. The children were a blessing from the Lord. Uh, They were in no way, shape, or form ever considered to be a hindrance. Uh, They were considered uh, of the highest order of blessings that God could place on you. Children was at the top of the list. And, And so we need to make sure that we see this from that perspective. And then we also have to look at it historically that this was roughly 4,000 years ago. So when you look at this situation, it is going to seem uh, not only a little bit unsavory, it's going to seem like, wow, that's just almost sick. Uh, This is pretty weird. Um, But I want you to keep it in the context that we discussed last Sunday, which was God allowed this particular situation to occur. He never penalized Jacob. We're going to find that he does, in fact, in essence, have four wives here. Uh, He's going to have two handmaidens that are given to him by his wives. He's working towards Rachel, which is the the woman that he believed he was going to marry at first. He gets involved with this crazy guy, Laban. Uh, Laban puts him on the hook for his other daughter, Leah. So you have Leah and Rachel and then Billa and and Zilpha. And so this is a, a little bit of a strange situation for us. Uh, sitting here in the year 2018, heading towards 2019. So bear with the historical part of it. Um, But I want you to also look at the problems that were caused, as I shared with you last time, because there are four wives here. This was not God's perfect plan. This was God's permissive will, not his perfect will. And there is always a difference when we settle for God's permissive will over God's perfect will. God's perfect will would have been accomplished in Jacob's life by exactly one woman. This is God's permission. He allows this situation, but we're going to see it's less than ideal. So would you join me? We'll pray, 
And we'll pick up here in verse 31 of Genesis 29. Father, again, we are so grateful that you would take time to share with us uh, the history of the Jewish people. Lord, how uh, they became, Lord, the 12 tribes that would eventually wander in the wilderness and pass into the land of Canaan. Uh, that would inherit the land that we know as modern-day Israel. And so, God, we look at a little bit of this history tonight, and we are grateful for it. Pray that you would bless us as we study. Uh, Give us your truth, Lord. Would we know uh, what you intended us to know from these passages? In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 31, and when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, remember, Leah is kind of, you know, Jacob, in essence, was, was tricked in, into marrying Leah. And while he doesn't appear to object too much to the situation, uh, nonetheless left a, a pretty deep strain in their relationship. And so she can feel the fact that Jacob desired to actually be married to Rachel, but she's going to be the, the first one that, uh, in essence, Jacob is, is wed to. And so... He opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So you can see that God is actually intervening here a little bit uh, in in how these two ladies begin to conceive children. And so Leah conceived and bore a son. She called his name Reuben, for she said, Surely the Lord has looked upon my affliction, and now therefore my husband will love me. And And I want to just give you a little a little word of caution here. I have listened to this particular story on a whole bunch of occasions where some couple believed that having children was going to fix their marriage. Can I tell you that that is a really, really poor decision? That having children will never fix a broken marriage. You need to fix the broken marriage before you have children. You need to work on that relationship because those children are going to be born into that brokenness. And it never works out to the benefit or the blessing of the children or the parents if you think there's going to be something that's going to fix your marriage that's external as believers. As believers, we need to take those things before the Lord and fix the marital relationship before you bring somebody else into it because as we're going to see in this particular family... Uh, they're going to pay a price for being born into, into this particular uh, situation. And when, then she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am loved, unloved, he has therefore given me this son also, and she called his name Simeon. And so we'll go through these, and while we'll not get to all 12 tonight, Um, It will be these 11 that are born that are going to set the stage for what would be the 12th. We're also going to see a replacement uh, as we get to these first two, Reuben and Simeon, and they are actually going to be removed from the lineage of the 12 tribes and be replaced with Ephraim and Manasseh a little bit later when we get to chapter 35. And she conceived again and bore a son. And now this time my husband will become attached to me and because I have borne him three sons, and therefore his name is called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son, and now I will praise the Lord, and therefore she called his name Judah, and she stopped bearing. And so there's going to be a little bit of a, a, a hiatus, if you will, will, from Leah bearing children 
And now we pick up in verse, in verse 1 of chapter 30, and it really continues the line. And now, when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no t- children, Rachel envied her sister. And so you can kind of see the family dynamics already starting to build up here. Uh, this is, you know, this is not going to be a, an easy situation for anybody to exist in. And said to Jacob, give me children or else I die. And Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel. And he said, I am in the place of God, who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb. He's basically saying, look, this isn't my doing, this is God's doing. I'm trying to do the will of the Lord. And the reason you don't have any children, take it up with the Lord. Now, I don't know how many of you husbands might be thinking of saying that to your wife, but not wives, if you want to keep your teeth anyway. And so she said, here's my name, my maid, Billa. And so you can just see the compounding of problems. When you bring, and we've discussed this already, when you bring a negative situation into your marital relationship and you set it as the standard, in this case, there was lying, there was cheating, deceiving, scheming, multiple wives, there are all kinds of things that are going on that were never God's intention nor plan. When you bring those things in, it kind of becomes the default position very often. And the same is true in our lives today. When we do not deal with things, when the Lord has shown us a certain path is his plan, and we choose not to take it, and we bring something else in that's not his ideal, then we are prone to continue those things because we're showing our offspring, we're showing the rest of our family that these things were acceptable. And so you can see the compounding effect Uh, Now we have yet another maid that's brought into the situation. Here's my maid, Billa. Go into her and she will bear uh, a child on my knees so that I may have children by her. And this is what we would call a surrogate mother or a surrogate parent. Uh, And then it says there in verse 4, as the passage continues, she gave him Billa, her maid, as a wife. And so... Now you you have three wives. This is not working out really well. And he went into her, and Billah conceived and bore Jacob a son. And Rachel said, God has judged my case. He's heard my voice. He's given me a son. And therefore, she called his name Dan. And I'm going to show you a map of where all these, these eventually what will become the tribes, will settle uh, in just a moment. So you can kind of lock it into your thinking. And Rachel's maid, Billa, conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. And then Rachel said, with great wrestlings, I've wrestled with my sister, and indeed I've prevailed. And so she called his name Naphtali. And Leah saw that she had stopped bearing. She took Zilpha, her maid. You get it? Now he's like, oh, well, I'll just do you one better. He can have my maid too. It's like. This is, it just, you, can, you can see how this has just almost turned into a contest of who's going to bear the most children. She stopped bearing, took Zilpha, her maid, and gave her to Jacob as a wife. And Leah's maid, Zilpha, bore Jacob a son. And Leah said, a troop comes. You know, more like a, almost gaining on a baseball team here. And so she called his name Gad. And Leah's maid, Zilpha, bore Jacob a second son. And Leah said, I am happy. For the daughters will call me blessed. And so she called his name Asher. And now Reuben went in the days of the wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field. And this mandrake is actually a, it is a member of the nightshade family. It's mildly hallucinogenic. 
Uh, the same chemical compound that's found in scopolamine is actually found in this particular plant. Uh, he was believed to be uh, an aphrodisiac during the time. It still is used in some nations of the world in that capacity. And so here's this fruit, this thing that uh, it eventually got the name the apple of love. Uh, but here there's mandrakes, there's this plant in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. And then Rachel said to Leah, so now they've gone from multiple wives giving away their ma- their their maids to um, hallucinogenic drugs. It's just, this just gets better each time we, we read it. And so Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. And she said to her, It is a small matter that you have is it a small matter that you've taken away my husband? Would you also take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, Therefore, he will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. And when Jacob came out of the field in the evening, Leah went out to him to meet him and said, You must come in to me, for surely I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. And he lay with her that night. And God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. And Leah said, God has given me my wages because I have given my maid to my husband. And so she called his name Ishakar. And Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will dwell with me because I've borne him six sons. Now she called his name Zebulun. And afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. And I want you to notice how quickly they just skip right over the, the girl. Because sons were always considered to be the primary desire of most Jewish families because they would pass along the name at some point in time. And, and again, I'm not saying this is culturally acceptable in our day and time, but it was uh, more of a fact of the matter then. And then God remembered Rachel and God listened to her. And open her womb. And each time you see this God listening, it's really God saying, is that what you want? Because what you want, be careful what you ask God for. Because sometimes he gives you what you ask. And that's his way of saying, so how did that work out for you? And God remembered Rachel. And again, God can't forget anything. He can't be taught anything. So it's not like God woke up one morning and goes, oh no, I forgot Rachel. But it's more that we're, our attention is being drawn to the fact that Rachel was always in the picture. And so God is now going to, to take care of her. And God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son. And she said, God has taken away my reproach. And so she called his name Joseph and said, the Lord shall add to me another son. Uh, that son that you see mentioned there in verse 24, we're not actually going to meet until chapter 35 which is Benjamin. Benjamin is going to have two sons and we'll look at them because they're going to play into this picture. Extremely important that Jacob has some sons, at least one. And it is interesting to me that as, as God kind of purposes in this story to, to tell this to us, he's actually giving us the history uh, of the entirety of the 12 tribes. Uh, because it will come from Joseph. There's going to be another uh, son that will be Benjamin, and Benjamin's going to have Ephraim and Manasseh, and they will replace uh, Reuben and Simeon. And so by the time it's all said and done, those will be the official 12. But God's building this family, and so as the Jewish people were looking on this situation, uh, there's a couple of things I think we can draw our attention to. And one is you, you, you can see again 
the, the poor behaviors, the sins of the parents, um, bearing some consequences in the lives of their offspring. And we're going to see that throughout the days down to the point to where we're going to see Joseph sold into slavery. We're going to see some of these family members who were a little more kind towards him kind of take odds with other members of the family. It's not a good situation. Very similar to situations that we have in our culture uh, due to divorce, to where you have multiple family units and they're all linked together because there, there is some uh, common heritage. Sometimes it's on mom's side or dad's side. And so they, they really are related in that sense. But at the same time, there, there isn't a single set of parents. And so there's one set of parents that's raised you know, maybe two or three children, and another set of parents has raised two or three children. Those two families are blended together. We call them a blended family. And while I'm not trying to, to point out just the negativity of this, it is more difficult. It's not easy. It's hard. Now imagine that you have not one, not two, not three, but four wives. And each one of them has multiple children. And you have all of the things that we would struggle with in our minds today. You know, does he love me? Does he love her? Does, you know, which children are the favorite? And there's going to be all kinds of those things are going to to bear into the situation. So if you look at this map, I think most of you can see it. Um, The green dots are actually the major cities that exist to this day. So Hebron, way down in the bottom, or Beersheba, uh, down in the tribe of Simeon. Uh, Judah and will become very, very important because when the Assyrians come uh, about 800 BC or so, slightly before the Babylonian conquest, when the Assyrians come, they're going to wipe out the 10 tribes that are in the north. So in the north, at the top of that screen, you're actually looking at Mount Hermon, uh, which today the top of Mount Hermon actually is the dividing line between three countries. Syria would be to your east, Uh, Lebanon would be roughly to your west, and south of there is modern-day Israel. So the Sea of Galilee at the north end, the Jordan River flowing between there and the Dead Sea, which is the south end, and then down at the very bottom of the map, you can see Edom. Edom is in modern-day Jordan. That's the home of the Edomites, Moab, the Moabites. And so you have parts of the Jewish people on both sides Uh, of the Jordan River. And Jordan, by the way, Jor means out of, and Dan is actually named after this particular son, one of Jacob's sons, Dan. So the Jordan River means out of Dan. You can see why it's named that, because the headwaters are actually in the city, uh, right outside the ancient city of Dan, which we tour when we're in Israel. So from the city of Dan, that river flows out, hence its name, the Jordan River. And so here are the 12 tribes. They they will eventually inherit these lands uh, as they they come from uh, being exiled uh, for 400 years in the land of Egypt and wander in the wilderness for 40 years. But by the time they come across, um, these are the specific areas that they would settle in at a later date. So in the southern tribe, you'll notice that there's no tribe there of Levi. Uh, Levi is the tribe, the priestly tribe. Judah is the kingly tribe. So when Assyria conquered the Jewish people, they wiped out the ten northern tribes. The only tribes that were left were Judah 
and Levi, which has no property because their inheritance was to be the Lord. And so they didn't have a specific land that was assigned to them because they were the priests of the whole nation. Uh, They were basically to share in the entirety of the promised land. And so the only tribes that were left after the Assyrian conquest were the tribe of Judah, which basically goes from Jerusalem south uh, all the way down to what we would call uh, the current Red Sea and then the, the Suez Gulf as well. So, and directly below that, the wilderness of Sin, is actually the modern-day Sinai Peninsula. So you have Egypt in there. And so this land is going to be settled by all these kids. First, you have Leah's children. As you look at Leah's children, half of the 12 tribes come from Jacob's relationship with Leah. And so six of them, two of them are going to be replaced, and they are the first two, uh, Reuben and Simeon. And so as we look at some of these, I'll give you a little bit of background on each one of them. So as we begin to look at these individual families and this family as a whole, because we're going to be with them for pretty much the remainder of the book of Genesis. It's going to be the story. Remember, the Jewish people are the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? So you can pretty well expect that if the last real patriarch that's named is Jacob, that's, that's really where this goes to, even though Moses is going to come along and all that kind of stuff. But what you're going to have is you're going to have really the history of the final patriarch named in that triune patriarchal group of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You're going to have the children of Jacob that are going to form the, the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. And so from there, if you look at the breastplate of the high priest on there, the 12 stones of the 12 colors of the 12 tribes. The 12 tribes had their own land with the, with the exception of the Levitical order, and they basically shared in a part of everything. And so let's dig into these, these kids, if you will. Firstborn, they're Reuben, which means, see, I have a son. Uh, so this is the eldest son of Jacob, born to Leah, uh, and so Reuben's going to be kind of a little bit of a, a little bit of a problem, and he's actually going to have uh, some some sexual relationship with his father's concubines later when we get to chapter thirty-five, and so he is going to be kicked out of the inheritance. He's going to be removed. Um, he's one of those he's one of those kids that probably because he's in that firstborn role, everybody's looking at him, but he is going to fall into gross sexual sin. Uh, Simeon, the second oldest born to Leah, um, is going to also have some problems, and he's going to have a problem with his temper. And so what's going to eventually happen to him uh, is, is there's, there's going to come a time when Simeon uh, is going to rise up in a radical response to, to this one daughter. Remember, there's one daughter. Her name is Dinah. Uh, she is going to be um, attacked, molested, and, and her full brothers are going to seek to avenge her. Um, they're going to move into Shechem. They're going to destroy a whole bunch of people um, that are basically innocent. And so uh, God's judgment falls on them. They're going to be pulled out. They will eventually be replaced by Ephraim uh, and Manasseh, who will be two, in essence, of Joseph's sons that will step in there. So Joseph is going to come at the end, and then Benjamin, that will finish off the 12. So Simeon... Uh, is really kind of an interesting character because on one hand he's he's brave he's resourceful he does all you know he he knows how to wield the sword he takes care of the family's business um, but he's got a violent streak 
And God says, I, I, I don't want him representing me, in essence, because each one of these children are going to bear some part of the Jewish people. The third son that we see here is Levi, and it means attached. Uh, and, and again, uh, as she's hoping that finally Jacob is going to fall in love with her, she's going to get all the way to Judah, whose name means praise, uh, and thinking that ultimately these children will be a way that she's going to win Jacob's favor, but Jacob really has eyes for Rachel, and it is going to be a very, very difficult road for, for her and for these children. And so she brings forth Levi, and Levi is, of course, uh, when we use the term Levitical or Levites, the priestly order, it is this tribe. This tribe survives. Uh, this tribe is the one from whom all of the, the priests, specifically the high priests, uh, would come. In fact, you could not, if you couldn't prove that you were from the tribe of Levi, you were not able to be the high priest. You had to be from the tribe of Levi. So they were the, the priestly tribe. And they're going to dwell in, primarily in the south. And actually, during the, the normal months of the year, when the priests were serving in the temple, um, they would each have a roughly a two-week period to where they would be in charge of the temple. When they were not there, they would go back down to the city of Jericho, down in the Jordan River. And basically, the Levitical uh, order had its headquarters really in Jericho, which is about 35 miles uh, from Jerusalem. And so they would spend their time there, and then they would come and go from the, the city of Jerusalem while they, while they were working. But they didn't really have a land. They had more of a town that they were uh, commonly, commonly found in. And by, by the way, they were makers of great genes. Uh, <clears throat> it's hard to make this interesting, Okay. You wouldn't believe some of the things that went through my mind. Well, I could tell them, no, I better not do that. (laughs) Her fourth son brings new praise to her life, and his name is Judah. And, of course, we know that uh, ultimately our Savior is going to be the lion of the tribe of Judah. Amen? His name means praise. Um, But it will be the kingly line. So in the south, what you have left is the priestly line. Isn't this crazy? The priestly line of Levi and the kingly line of Judah. And so of the two tribes that survive, guess what survives? Priests and kings. What will Jesus the Messiah be when he finally comes? He will be both the priest and king. And guess what the two genealogies found in Matthew and Luke do? They trace us back to the kingly line of Judah and to the priestly line of Levi. So there's a reason for that. The Jewish people uh, had to be able to trace their lineage for them to fit the messianic, messianic picture Jesus has to be related because he is going to be both priest and king. So he has to be from the tribe of David, which is Judah. And he had to be from the tribe of Levi. So a beautiful picture of how God works preserving uh, his name. And so this southern kingdom is actually comprised of the two tribes that would remain after the Assyrian onslaught. 
And so this, this is going to come up, and you're going to see, of course, King David's life will be the whole story of First and Second Kings and First and Second Samuel really is kind of the story of these kings being raised up from the tribe of Judah. The fifth, after a period of barrenness, remember she stopped bearing, and now Leah is going to bring forth a fifth son. Uh, his name is Ishakar. Uh, Ishikar was a, a mighty man of war. Uh, he followed after the tribe of Judah, but there's not a whole lot known about him. And so when you look at, for the history of uh, the tribe of Ishikar, there isn't much. Um, but what we do know, because they were directly associated with most often with the tribe of Dan, uh, they were in the north, and so they settled on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. Um, they occupied a little bit of what is today the Hula Valley. There's a small lake called Lake Hula. And so part of the Jordan River flows in that and then out of it again. And so here is yet another uh, tribe. But their name means reward or wages. And it's interesting to me today that the land that they actually settle is called the breadbasket of Israel. And it's also the most prosperous area of all of Israel because it's where all of the Fruits and veggies are, are grown in all of Israel. And Israel is an exporter of food. They grow so much food, specifically fruit, fruit, dates. Um, they actually grow bananas in, in Israel. It's, it's pretty amazing what the Lord has done. But that area is a very, very prosperous area to this day. So his name fits with exactly what the Lord said would happen in the land that he settled and that it would be prosperous. And while we don't have a lot of biblical knowledge uh, beyond uh, a little mention in the second chapter of Numbers and also in Joshua 19. Um, they were a prosperous tribe, and they did very, very, very well, and that area still does very, very well to this day. The tenth numerical son, if you will, ultimately, uh, but he's actually the sixth and final son by Leah, is Zebulun. And Zebulun's kind of an interesting character, um, we, we don't know, again, a whole lot about him, but we do know that he southern, settled in the southern uh, region of the, of the Galilee, which when you look at the nation of Israel, modern Israel today, um, you, the north is basically the beginning of that is the southern end of the Sea of Galilee. The center of the country is the area that's between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea, and below the Dead Sea is considered southern Israel. It's also the home of the Negev Desert. And so Zebulun kind of takes up this, this middle region, if you will. Um, it was also occupied uh, part of the time by the tribe of Asher. And so it's there in the mountains uh, that these love apples grew. This is where uh, the song of Deborah that's in Judges mentions them again. And so uh, this was kind of the region that those things came from. So it appears... Uh, from this account that where they were living was someplace in the center uh, of modern-day Israel. And so Rachel picks up that, you know, he's got this love potion, and so she's going to go out and try and get some of the, the mandrake fruit so that she can have more children uh, than, than Leah ultimately, which does not happen. And so uh, when you look at these tribes, you kind of have to think of why they would be in those specific areas. Um, when you look at Israel, you have to imagine that in a Mediterranean climate, water is going to determine pretty much everything. Wherever you live, you have to have water. No water, 
you don't survive. And that's very true specifically with the Jordan River Valley because most of it is actually below sea level. Sea of Galilee sits 683 feet below sea level. The Dead Sea is 1,300 plus feet below sea level. So it's very dry. It's an arid environment. So as you look at these tribes, most of them at least bordered the Jordan River somewhere. So, so they would be like you would have Reuben and Manasseh on, on what would be in modern-day Jordan, and then many of the rest of the tribes would at least attach to the Jordan River someplace and then run all the way to the Mediterranean coast. So they kind of looked like a Sunday, like you would layer in a bunch of, you know, some chocolate and some strawberries and then some butterscotch and, you know, just be a little bit uh, of each of them in a layer and they would run all the way out to the Mediterranean so that they would have access to the seacoast. And so these families are going to ultimately uh, settle out through that land uh, and begin to prosper, almost all of them. And so next we have Billah's children. So we have yet another handmaid in the picture. Um, Jacob becomes angry with his favorite wife. Uh, That doesn't surprise us, amen? Because he's he's actually, that's the one that he really wants. That's the one he thought he was working the, the initial seven years for. He gets tricked and then has to work another seven years. So he has worked for Laban for 14 years to be able to marry, in essence, uh, Rachel. And now it's like, well, now you don't even have any children. It's like, look, the whole deal here was, I have this promise that God made to me that I'm going to be the continuation of the promise made to Abraham, uh, we need to have some children. So Rachel is exercising now her rights to be able to say uh, that I'm going to bear upon my knees. And that was actually another way of saying adopting. Basically, she's saying, look, I'm going to bring this woman into my home and her children into my home. And anyone that's born by Billa is, is, in essence, has the same rights as if they came through me. And so the Lord's going to answer that prayer and she's going to give birth to Dan. And Dan's an interesting one of the children because initially he actually settles uh, in the area that encompasses uh, Mount Carmel of Elijah's fame. So the center of the country, more towards the Mediterranean coast. Um, it's hilly, it has the, the tallest other than, than Mount Hermon in the, in the far distant north. It's the highest point. Uh, in the center of the country. It's also the only area that's really forested, or it was at the time. So the cedars of Lebanon would grow on the backside of that. Um, so it was, a, it was a very, very, very important place to be. But they would, they would be driven from there by the Philistines, and then they would push towards the north, and they would actually settle in what is the border area right now of Lebanon in modern-day Israel. But right on the actual... Um, place where the Jordan River pops out of the ground. So to give you a little history of the Jordan River, the Jordan River, actually the whole river itself comes from a series of springs. It is not a tributary like we would normally have here in in California where snow falls in the central Sierra Nevadas. That snow melts, it goes into lakes and into creeks and into larger creeks and then into rivers and larger rivers. Those rivers eventually turn into things like the Sacramento River and make it into San Francisco Bay. Or, or if you were to be in the Rockies, it would flow into the Colorado and eventually into the Gulf of, of California. So when you, when you look at Israel, it looks like there's this massive river system when in fact actually the Jordan River pops 
directly out of the ground. It comes out in two sources. One in Banyas, which is Caesarea Philippi, which is in the north, not very far from Dan. And the other is basically right in the city of Dan. And so it is the largest, it is the oldest Canaanite city in existence anywhere in the world. Uh, When you travel to the city of Dan, you can go and view the altar uh, that's mentioned in the book of Kings. Uh, You can walk around the walls and there's a place that's called Abraham's Gate. It's the oldest earthen gate on the planet Earth. Uh, It's a gate that's almost 3,800 years old. And so it, it is a very, very, very easy to track tribe because they left a lot of archaeological evidence. And so uh, Dan settled in the north ultimately. And of course, the most prominent member of the tribe of Dan was none other than Samson. So Samson is going to come out of this tribe. Next son here is Naphtali. And it means my struggle or my wrestle. And so Billa, this is the second son by the by the concubine, the maid, if you will, Billa. Um, and in blessing him, Jacob basically uh, likened him to a, a deer that's let loose, probably because he had unbridled energy. And so Naphtali actually ends up uh, inhabiting the territory of the Sea of Galilee and extending to the side of the Jordan River by Lake Hula. So there, there's, again, this is a kind of a hard place to, to eke out a living. And so it makes sense that Naphtali would end up there um, the, the Syrians would invade uh, Naphtali during King Basha's reign, and they would suffer horrific losses. Um, ultimately, uh, the Assyrian king Tiglath-Pileser in about 734 would uh, take them captive, and they would be one of the groups that would be wiped out in the Assyrian captivity. So most of these tribes, though they will come back from the wilderness wanderings and they will settle, um, they're they're going to be erased in essence from the record in about 800 or so BC. So when you look at these children, just remember that they are there for our benefit so that we can know exactly how the children of Israel got where they were, they were at, but they are going to be, they are going to be obliterated from the face of the earth ultimately. And then next we have uh, Zilpha's children, and so she she brings forth Gad, whose name means actually luck has come. It's like good fortune. And actually, if you were to, there was actually a god that was part of the the pantheon of gods that were associated with the Canaanites, and that that god was named Gad, and he was actually the god of mirth or luck. And so he was kind of you know like the gambling god. So you would pay homage and then go to the, you know Pachanga Casino or whatever. That it was, it, he was kind of like the god of good fortune. So, so Gad was kind of, you know, this this happy-go-lucky guy um, that ultimately uh, would would have some pretty good fortune because he was he was not going to be well known, but he would actually have the the whole east side of the Jordan River and the Dead Sea and part of the region called Gilead. And so he would also have the Jabbok River, which comes out of Jordan, the Arnon River that comes out of Jordan. So there'd be a ton of water available to him. So actually, he ends up with the, with the largest piece of territory of all of the 12 tribes, and it would encompass uh, the land that was actually given in the, the 1917 Balfour Mandate that was called Transjordan, everything that was on the Jordanian side of the Jordan River was actually part 
uh, of Gad's property. So it was pretty fortunate. He ended up with a, with a whole lot of what we would call uh, Jordan and part of modern-day Israel. The second son was Asher, which means blessed or happy. It's the eighth son of Jacob, second son by Zilpah, uh, and the younger brother of Gad. And Asher is extended up onto the slopes of Mount Carmel. So by the time this is all said and done, um, these families are going to live next to each other. And the reason it's interesting to look at the size of this single family, remember, this is a single family. So you have a dad, you've got ostensibly what amounts to four wives, you have 12 sons and a daughter, actually we only have 11 up to this point, but there's going to be more. Um, so as, as you look at this family, you can pretty readily see how a family turns into a small community fairly quickly. Because each one of these children are going to be living next to their siblings. Their siblings are going to have a like-type living situation. And so as they come back from the wilderness wandering, it will not take them long to inhabit the land and to fully populate the land. So uh, sometimes one of the things that's tossed out as a, as a problem in Scripture is how did all these people uh, end up so populous and so, so large in number? Well, remember that the children of Israel spent 400 years in captivity uh, in, in Egypt. When they left the Egyptian captivity, they spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. And when they came into Canaan, they now have the opportunity uh, to actually settle down, to put down some roots. They're going to get very excited about being able to actually support their families and feed their families. They're no longer wandering in the most inhospitable desert on planet Earth. Um, they're in a lush valley that has constant supply of river water. And so they're, they're, they're going to have a whole bunch of children in a fairly short period of time. Finally, Rachel bears a son. So it's interesting to me that, that God waits to the very end here. And at long last here, this favorite wife conceives and gives birth to a son whose name is Joseph. And of course, we know, many of us already know the story of Joseph. He's going to occupy a, a vast majority of the latter portions of the book of Genesis because he is so important. Um, obviously, two of the tribes of Israel will actually come from Joseph. Ephraim and Manasseh So the ones that replace Zubin, uh, or Reuben and, and Simeon are actually going to come from Joseph. And then later, when we get to chapter 35, we'll also see Benjamin, who is the son who's left that Jacob doesn't want to give up. It's like, here's my youngest son. I'm not going to give him up. And they're down in captivity. So you can see that they're still living uh, quite a very long time. And so um, Jacob is going to, to step in and get rid of these two sons that aren't doing too well, Reuben for his sexual sin, and Simeon because of his massacre of the Shechemites. Um, and, and so... Manasseh is the older of the two, but Jacob actually, again, will give preference to Ephraim. And the blessing of Jacob, which only mentions Joseph, is going to fall um, on, on to Joseph. And from Joseph, it's going to go to Moses. And from Moses, it'll come back to the children of Israel and the land. So um, Ephraim actually occupied most of the hill country. Um, which we would look like, if you look at modern-day Israel, when you hear the term Golan Heights... Um, that's occupied by part of Zebulon and part of Manasseh. 
and, and then part of Ephraim would be to the south end of it. So modern-day Syria is where a lot of that is. Um, when, you, when you travel there, we actually go to the Syrian border and look over into the areas to where uh, the Syrian army has encampments. And this is, this is kind of a, during the period of Judges, this was a disputed territory. In fact, the Syrians at that point in time, before they were the Assyrians and became this, this nation uh, that would eventually conquer most of the known world uh, during their time, during their rule, these two kingdoms that would exist simultaneously, the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom, the northern kingdom um, being being called Israel and the southern kingdom called Judah. So when you hear the name Israel, uh, eventually that's going to refer to the ten tribes in the north and Judah will refer to the two tribes, Levi and Judah in the south. Um, But the Assyrians are going to come in and uh, basically devastate this family as well. And so Ephraim and Manasseh occupy um, a little bit of the territory on the west, but mostly on the east side of the Jordan River, uh, the regions of Gilead and modern-day Syria and Jordan. And finally, verse 24, which we're not actually told about this until later in chapter 35, but we're going to have the birth of, of Benjamin, who means the son of my right hand. And so Rachel's got these two boys, um, he was the only full-blooded brother of Joseph, so uh, as one might expect, they'll have a pretty strong connection. Uh, the Benjamites, strangely enough, though he was the youngest brother, are going to have quite a reputation as men of war. And so uh, they're going to they're take up the battle, and Jacob actually refers to, to Benjamin uh, as a ravenous wolf by the time we get to chapter 49. Uh, and we're going to see in the book of Judges that they are these incredible men of valor, uh, when we when we look at uh, Manasseh and, and Joseph and Benjamin, we're going to see really these are the these are the guys that really fought all of the great battles. Out of out of Manasseh, you have uh, they're in Judges chapter six. You have the rise of Gideon. Uh, so this this is the the group uh, that ultimately are going to defend the Jewish people. Uh, what would be the Jewish people ultimately uh, when they finally settle down in in the land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the land of Canaan that will become uh, known as Israel, governed by God. And so during that time, uh, there's a couple of things that happened, but uh, when you look at the the 12 tribes, and and again, we're just getting a glimpse of each of them tonight, you kind of have this one family, a messed up mom, messed up dad, uh, primarily a dad named Jacob, whose name means heel catcher, uh, has his four wives. Well, they're kind of concubines, handmaids, or there are a whole bunch of things, but they're called wives eventually. But you can see how God actually still is able to use even the most messed up people. That's one of the, the lessons that you learn very quickly when you study the history of the children of Israel. God still uses messed up people. He takes and fixes messes. He's really good at it, in fact. And while it's not his plan, it's not his perfect will, he still is able to to work all things together for the good to those who love God and are they called according to his purpose. It's a Romans 8.28 similar passage is found in Genesis chapter 50. That which the, the enemy meant for evil, the Lord intends for good. And so when you think about 
these particular tribes, and you try and imagine how they all end up settling back in the land, what we're going to see now is the, the history uh, of this family as it kind of unfolds and how each of them grows in power and stature and each of them has a part uh, in the history of the children of Israel. And ultimately, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be Joseph. Remember, he's going to be in Egypt. And Joseph is going to be the one that's left as, as the, the rest of the, the brothers are, are going to be booted out. They're gonna, it's like, man, you know, who is this guy? And he's going to actually have an opportunity to save the entire Jewish race. He's going he's to get an opportunity. So God is going to do great things uh, out of this one messed up dad and his four wives. Uh, irregardless of what we might think about the story, uh, God has a plan to redeem all of this. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord, for the incredible history of the Jewish people. Lord, the history of the children of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, Jacob's wives. And Lord, while we can't say as we know and understand all things regarding this family, uh, we can see how you have preserved and how you have prospered prospered the Jewish people. Lord, you promised them that land. It's yours, and you gave it to them as a perpetual inheritance. And we see your hand upon Israel today as proof positive that you keep your word. And so, Lord, we are thankful for the truth of this passage, that it is through these these sons of Jacob, whose name will be changed to Israel one day, that you would move and, and from them, uh, specifically from the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Levi, the priest king, our savior, our Lord, the Jewish Messiah, the Lord Jesus would come. Lord, that you preserve those nations so that we would know that you spoke truth is a beautiful thing for us. And so we thank you for your word, its power to change and transform and instruct us. Pray that you would bless us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.